Welcome to Can Queer Home of Canada's Queer Medium. My name is Luke Smith. And my name is Sebastian. And today we have an interesting uh, uh, conflux of topics uh, for today's show. Um, a, a we're going to start a contrast. Like, you know what? Yes. I'm yes. just going to say yes. I think yes. either works, but uh, I was struggling to find the right word. Inspired by my 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 briefest encounter with the go-go dancer, we have our good friend Matt Eldrica joining us later in the show mm-hmm. uh, to talk about how he connects with the audience, gets the party moving, and makes people feel a little bit special. We have we have go-go dancers a little bit later in the show, but before we get there, we're going to be talking about the official release of the federal government's LGBTQ, sorry, 2S LGBTQ, uh, IA, I plus, I plus, there we go, get there in yep. the end, um, action plan. Now, our regular listeners may recall that we've spoken about the federal government's LGBT action plan on multiple occasions. It's sort of the landmark piece of the, the LGBTQ secretariat. You have done some digging through the plan. I've also looked through the plan. Off the bat, Sebastian, what are your what are your initial gut feels about this plan? My gut feels about this plan, and this is me being completely frank, the announcement kind of feels like political posturing because a lot of stuff that's in there they've already been doing for a couple of years. And uh, the difference is they are uh, promising a slightly larger budget than what they've been doing so far. So it's basically an announcement promising that they're going to keep doing the thing they've been doing for a while now, and they're going to do it a little bit better than they've been doing it in the past. So I don't want to say that it's a nothing burger because there's stuff in there that is interesting for sure. This is the downfall of doing the news every week because every so often announcements comes out and you and I are like, that's not an announcement. We, we did this a year ago. What is this? So I think this is just one of those situations. We have the curse of knowledge. We do. We have we have context that we can offer. So when I was reading the plan, okay. I feel like uh, you know you're you're a trained technical writer, Sebastian. Uh-huh. I feel like just uh, you know. Let me get the page count on this plan. By the way, let me fifty three pages. I reckon a decent copy well, editor could probably trim that down to twenty. Like it seemed verbose. It's very unnecessarily wordy. You know, what bothers me is they have these these titles and then the first paragraph repeats the title and, and vaguely defines the title. And it just seems very, it's very full of fluff, this, this particular plan. Actually, if you're going to bring up my technical writing background, that's actually what you're supposed to do. That's called a wayfinding paragraph. So it tells you what it is you're about to read. And I'll also point out that the last 20 pages of the document is the annex, which is uh, about a third of the document is annex. And that that's that's pretty hefty. Okay. Um, you see that? Like I'm on page 12. I'm yeah. on page 12 and I'm looking at key federal milestones, its own page. I am yet to reach the actual plan. I'm now on page 14. It's the context for the action. Still no plan. But but Luke, that's what the table of contents is for on page three. I don't know. I I feel (laughs) like if I'm reading a document that says action plan, I don't want to be more than halfway before I get to an actual plan. You know what I mean? Like maybe I have my hopes up for more plan and less. Do you know what this is? If we want to get into the theory of documentation, I think what it is is that you are detecting the absence of an executive summary. 
on page two. I am definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely detecting the absence of a, you know, some, a summary. But if I had a dollar for every waffly government document, yeah. I would have many dollars. It's also pretty unclear for a lot of things. So like, I'm just looking right here on page 19. And one of the points is embed 2S LGBTQI plus issues in the work of the government of Canada. And at no point does it define what that means. Uh, what does that imply? Is that hiring? A lot of this is kind of vague about what it is actually that they're going to be yeah. doing yeah. actually. You know, let's start there. Number six, embed the issues in the work of the government. Yeah. It goes on to say the objective is to strengthen mechanisms mm-hmm. to advance 2S LGBTQI issues and ensure coordinated government of Canada responses to community priorities. Don't get me wrong. When there's an issue and you have to go from one department to the next department to the next department, mm-hmm. I like that they do come in with a little bit of uh, fun, you know, a bit of a forward momentum here, yep. including providing 11.7 million to stabilize and expand funding for the 2S LGBTQI secretariat. Mm-hmm. Now, we follow the secretariat from inception. Mm-hmm. And what I'm really curious about is what exactly they do. So a lot of their work recently mm-hmm. was managing the official government apology mm-hmm. uh, for the purge, which is when the, the historic uh, Canadian government uh, removal and uh, expulsion of people mm-hmm. from the armed services and Department of Defense who were gay. But mm-hmm. they need an, an extra $11 million. Mm-hmm. And I'm just a little fuzzy as to uh, as to what they do. So it seems to me like this particular commitment from the government to improve its its 2SLGBTQ inclusion in federal workspaces mm-hmm. really boils down to a department, the 2SLGBTQ Secretariat, mm-hmm. having the right amount of money and people to be able to get training to work with the Department of Defense and also to really execute that uh, massive legal judgment for the purge. That is How much hanging. of that feels like bureaucratic navel gazing to you, though? Like, would you rather see that $11.7 million go towards projects that help the community? Because, like, the kind of people who are currently in the government, broadly speaking, don't need more training on 2SLGBTQI inclusion do they really need more training and could that funding go towards courting childless seniors who've been forced back into the closet you know like i mean i see where you're going with this i don't want to get into the a dollar here could be spent on orphans or seniors or yeah yeah yeah. whatever it may be because that is a that is a it's a losing battle yeah it's a losing battle because (laughs) every every government dollar could be better spent somewhere else oh yeah for sure yeah yeah I think in the context of the 100 million, which is what this plan dedicates in terms of new funding, 11 of that going to make sure that the government itself has a bit of a sustainable plan mm-hmm. to kind of keep itself on the right track moving forward. This mm-hmm. also includes engaging with provinces and territories. Yep. That approach, having someone in the room whose job it is to be like, okay, you know, how mm-hmm. are we engaging this community in the context of this issue? I'm all for that. To a certain degree, it really does feel like the secretariat. It does feel like the secretariat is fundamentally the, it's like the the, the ombuds for LGBT issues, fundamentally. Yeah. Like it, it's the complaints department, and then they go around and they coordinate finding a solution for you, uh, which is not to 
speak down to it. I think more branches of government need an ombuds. The ombuds of Ontario is very busy, but there's a few things in here, like the general idea I like, but I just whinge at, at the knowledge of how it might turn out. So there's a huge yeah. emphasis on here on working with community groups. And yeah. I feel strongly about that in favor, but I also know that I have read research projects from community-based groups where on page two, they had a pie chart where all the slices of the pie added up to 243%. And all I could think was, I'm pretty sure in grade eight, you learn how to do a pie chart. So, I mean, I know that that some of these community organizations, they, they work with volunteers. And sometimes when you work with volunteers, you know, sometimes you can get shockingly good people. Like you might get like a, a forensic accountant to show up and just help out with stuff and then other times you work with what you get and what you get doesn't know that a pie chart should not add up to 243 percent i like that idea but if there's going to be that much money on the table i do like the idea of having stipulations and there are a lot of grants because you work with grants a lot you know that if you're going to do this you have to work with this kind of expert to make sure that it gets done properly usually that expert's an accountant to make sure that you're not accidentally engaging in fraud because accidental fraud is a real thing but anyway so there's a lot of things in here where superficially I like the idea, but under the hood, I've seen, like, I, I have volunteered in not-for-profits before. I know how things can go. I worry that some of this might be money thrown into the wind. The things that they are claiming to want to do, I agree with, if mm. that makes sense. So you mentioned earlier about the prioritize and sustain 2SLGBTQI community action action point in the action plan um, yes <laughs> it's, i just wanted to i just wanted to say that you know the reason why or how the government reached a lot of these conclusions mm-hmm. um, is through a massive consultation we talked yes. about it before it was impacted by the pandemic but they yes. were inviting people all over the place hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of people participated this plan and on one of its many pages mm-hmm. includes a breakdown of uh, what everybody responded from including like uh, you know 50 people in the Yukon so that's pretty cool yeah um but yeah, it's definitely definitely had a lot of people providing their input. How mm. many of these people said the LGBTQ secretariat needs eleven more million to do their job? I am I have a healthy dose of skepticism, mm-hmm. but I think many people have said for a while that the most effective way to make real local outputs happen is to work with local organizations for in the ground. Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah. So they have announced the plan to provide 40 million in new capacity building grants to uh, various organizations that uh, work with uh, LGBTQ communities. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this is this is the kind of thing that I you know, it's this bit of the actual plan that I am most excited about. Mm-hmm. And it sounds the most boring. So it's essentially <laughs> like 44 million for grants that includes managerial capacity training mm-hmm. and development, mm-hmm. long-term sustainability training and development, you know, the ability to gather evidence and data and, and just, you know, develop networks and so on and so forth. It's just, it, it sounds dead boring. But mm-hmm. what it means is, you know, Fierte Canada Pride, for example, which works with small grassroots pride organizations and the big pride giants across mm-hmm. the country, are able to do things like 
effective grant writing where you yeah. don't defraud the federal government. Yeah. Um, you know, how to prevent, you know, effective social media management so you're not in Twitter wars with people. Yeah. You know, these are all things that Toronto, sorry, um, that uh, the Fiat of Canada Pride will be great, well positioned mm-hmm. to, to teach on. And what it will do is allow these smaller organizations to find their feet, mm-hmm. expand their ability, and better serve. I'm excited about it. And then there's also 35 million in new project grants yeah. uh, for LGBT organizations aimed at addressing specific barriers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the sections that kind of excited me, and again, I think this might be an issue of uh, it's kind of underspecified, and I might be reading into it what I wanted to say as opposed to what it actually means. So you, you could help me out with this. But one of them is to strengthen data and evidence-based policy. There is actually, there's a line in there about collection of data on the effectiveness of existing existing initiatives. There you go. And this is actually something that that is pretty important is, you know, you have an initiative, you have a not-for-profit, you have a project, you have a, and doing the follow-up to see if it worked and if it's worth repeating elsewhere. Because there have been a lot of, of things that on paper looked great or in theory seemed fine, but then in the end, they didn't work. And generally speaking, and this is something like this is a bee in my bonnet of books, you know that as well as documentation, I have a huge thing for the census. And you do the, like the census, ombuds and censuses, yeah, yeah, yeah. And septic tanks. People know a lot about you this episode. And specifically, the Canadian Social Survey has not been done in a while, but still, Collecting data on this kind of thing is very important. And that's another one of those things that just seems so boring. Like when you're talking about gathering data, everybody falls asleep. But then two years later, when you come back and you start saying like, you know, 20% of Canadians are this, 70% of Canadians do that, then everyone gets excited about the results. So, I mean, it's hard to get sexy on the front end when it comes to data gathering, but on the the back end, a lot of people really like it. And uh, I did not mean it in that way, but I have no regrets for phrasing it like that. I am, I I, I really like this piece because, yeah. you know, we've interviewed the, uh, oh my gosh, I just have their name, Community-Based Research Center out of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. We specifically, we were talking to them about poppers, which, you know, was banned in sort of the sex scare of the 90s mm-hmm. and hasn't really really been any movement on them you know they're, they're still illegal in Canada despite no real scientific evidence to, to point to any harm mm-hmm. um, but until there is a study that is demonstrably proving that there is no harm the mm-hmm. government doesn't have a uh, fig leaf to hide behind in terms of reversing these regulations yeah yeah and that's something that the CRC uh, CBRC the the Canadian Race Research Center is working on and a perfect example yeah. of something that is distinct to the gay community. Yes. I also want to point out that earlier this month, the Justice Department of Canada, the Canadian Justice Department, released a study that they had done in collaboration with Carlton University, Action Santé Transvestite and uh, et Transsexuelle mm-hmm. du Québec, uh, as well as the Community-Based Research Centre, looking specifically at legal barriers facing trans, two-spirited, and non-binary people. So they did a a national qualitative research study with trans folks to understand the legal barriers that they may face, and that informed the Justice Department, who are now evaluating how to move forward. Mm -hmm. So this evidence-based decision-making instead of gut reaction, knee-jerk decision-making. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Even uh, some of the local community groups are implementing guts. You know, you know, Max, 
Yeah. Not Max the person, Max the uh, gay men's health organization. Well, men who have sex yeah. with men health organization. Based on pretty good research, they started changing some of their, their programs because even though there's this assumption that one-on-one therapy is more effective, it turns out that with a lot of men, and I mean a lot of men, for trauma recovery, group therapy is more effective. So, and usually people see group therapy as like cost cutting, but it actually turns out that for certain demographics, it is more effective in the long run. So they started implementing that based on some of the evidence that was coming out of uh, psych research. So some of this research, it's not just a matter of of getting the government to implement better policy or something like that. Some of it is really about boots on the ground volunteers trying to make a difference in people's lives, having better tools to work with, Um, having more effective health policies, more effective housing policies, more effective, all that kind of thing. You need the data sometimes to know that you're not just making things up and hoping that you're right. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is, you know, these are big questions. So there are, there have been parliamentary committees that have looked into various things. Um, You know, the big ones that they are, they've sort of pointed in the direction of where they might be focusing next Mm. is the cosmetic surgeries of intersex children's genitalia. Mm. Um, I don't believe that that's commonly a practice in Canada, uh, but this would effectively criminalize it as one of the things they're potentially looking at. Uh, If there's evidence, so they're going to gather evidence, make a decision, Mm -hmm. uh, limiting the prosecution of persons who fail to disclose HIV status before otherwise consensual activity. So I think uh, there was a case not that long ago about somebody was charged with administrating a noxious substance mm-hmm. uh, for not disclosing that their uh, their substances contained HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously indecency offenses, which uh, have yeah, that would ha- some gay folks. I think... <sighs> You know, if if some of the law is at the interpretation of the person enforcing the law, i.e. Yeah. police witnesses in, you know, who may not be as well trained as we would like, uh, may not have engaged with communities as much as mm-hmm. we would like, don't have the right experience. When you're relying on the letter of the law, there's mm. there's room for improvement. So I can see some of these. That one in particular really bothered me. That was the one that I spent like 20 minutes trying to find out exactly what they were talking about. And I could find nothing, nothing on but any website. The, the point of this action plan is like, this is an example of what we're going to research, yeah. develop evidence, and then make a decision on. And I appreciate that because these aren't yeah. small topics. No, no, know. no. The indecency thing Kill is something child that... Genitalia indecency yeah. and HIV disclosure, those are big. Yeah, we, yeah, want, yeah. we want people to be well informed when deciding the, the, about that. The indecency thing is one of those things where we are the canary in the coal mine, but if we fix that, a lot of lives get fixed. Because like the classic example is that somebody was drunk on their way home. They took a pee in an alleyway. They get slapped with an indecent exposure thing and they get labeled a sex pest for life. And you know, maybe a fine. You should you should probably not be urinating in alleyways. That that's somebody's alleyway. I mean, Sebastian, you were twenty minutes away from a urinal. Like you could have made it. I said you could make it. I said <laughs> but you could it, make it's, it. I think most people agree that that is definitely an instance where somebody gets slapped with like you know sex pest for life, and everyone's like, that's heavy handed. A fine, sure, maybe, maybe even a big fine. You know, people could disagree with that. But the idea that you can't live within. I think it's like a kilometer of a primary school because you did that one thing that one time when you were drunk that didn't affect anyone. Like, eh, I think most people would agree that that's 
that's heavy handed. And this has never been updated. So well, I think it's it's important that we still protect the most vulnerable in our community. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But let's let's be, you know, let's Balanced let's reevaluate where we're yeah. at and 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 understand from there. I don't have the solution. We don't have the solution. And I, I would hope that there will be a decent amount of research mm. before they move forward. Uh they also have support indigenous 2S LGBTQI resilience and resurgence. Uh, with contribution funding for developing community organizations in LGBT, in indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. Um, they are changing the acronym to put 2S first uh, in recognition of the uh, first peoples of Canada um, coming before all the other various peoples of Canada. Um, and there's a few other things. We're not going to go into all of them, you know, creating an inclusive future, blah, blah, blah. Um, or uh, data evidence-based policymaking. All in all, mm-hmm. despite the amount of uh, what I think is a necessary fluff in this document, <laughs> there is, overall, this is a very solid plan from the federal government in terms of how to engage the community because it is identifying the need for core capacity, mm-hmm. evidence-based research, and decisions made on, you know, really proof, proof and evidence that that's yeah. the best way to move forward. And it seems sustainable, which is what I'm, which I'm encouraged by. I think it's a good overview of what's probably a good plan, but I'm a little bit more skeptical than you. They need an executive summary. That's really I, what they need. I like details is what I like. A lot of this All stuff right. is like, but what does that mean? <laughs> I agree. All right. We'll be back uh, just after this with our interview with Matt Eldrick. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in a few minutes. Oh, 
Tu tires, 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 tires Contrôler tes pouvoirs de sorcier Moi j'arrête, j'arrête, j'arrête Être désenchanté quand tu m'as montré Tes pouvoirs de sorcier Welcome back to Cancri, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Stilluk Smith. And I'm Sebastian. Now, a bit of a change of speed from Justin Trudeau and the federal LGBT action plan, because, you know, we like to go from, you know, federal funding for anti-discrimination work all the way to boylesque. Like, those are the those are the two speeds that we like to rock here at, uh, at Cancria. And... Uh, let me first set up this next segment because it 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 occurred to me in the middle of the street as sometimes these things happen. I think I don't know if I've told you this story, Sebastian. Oh yes, I've heard it twice already. Twice, okay, possibly well, it's a good three story. times. Yeah, it's a good story. <laughs> so I was walking along Church Street on the phone to my sister, talking about planning a trip to the CNE, the the Canadian National Exhibition in uh in toronto you know fun fair good times where where we're planning where you know it's just you know scheduling conversations and as i'm going down church street there is a a side door with like a white wall and it's perfectly lit up uh with an overhead light and uh there is this gentleman there in the doorway who is distractingly handsome so much so that in my conversation with my sister i completely trailed off i don't know if you've ever had that situation where you're having a conversation and you get so distracted that you can't even remember which way is up let alone the the context of the conversation and he had like a, a plaid shirt which was like just barely on him, open down the middle. I could see the Adonis belt and his face was sculpted for the gods. Um, anyway, so I totally lost where I was, <laughs> what I was doing. I react the same way I'm... when I see a Mini Cooper you or did... a nice cardigan. Oh, okay. Do you see yeah. Emily Cooper or a Mini Cooper? A Mini Cooper. Okay, that's fair. They're adorable. Fair. They're they're the happiest car in the world. They're they're no. I don't know if I would lose my trail of thought to a Mini Cooper, but I I get we're, we're on similar pages. Um. Anyway, as I was walking by, this uh, this gentleman uh, sort of leans back as I pass him and says, "You're cute, by the way." And if butter didn't melt, I tell you, I mm-hmm. I just I felt like a pretty lady, uh, and it was great, and it kind of it made my day. Now. I am aware that this individual was almost definitely a go-go dancer outside of a go-go club. (laughs) And that's certainly a part of the job is, you know, uh, getting folks through the door. Um, But as some of my friends have pointed out, uh, I wasn't charged for the compliments. So I will, I will take it and run, take it all the way to the bank. I'm actually getting it framed on a, on a t-shirt. It'll be great. Um, But that inspired me to invite a a mutual friend of ours 
Matt, who goes by the stage name Tucker, some folks may have uh, seen Tucker perform, um, to really talk about some like some of the, the the things related to this. So Matt, how are you doing? What did you think of my my chance encounter with a go-go dancer? That hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounds that sounds on par. I would I would say that sounds on par, but also we just because it's a compliment from a go-go dancer does not mean that it is not a valid compliment. So your friends, your friends saying like, oh, it's just part of the job. Like, no. The, the guy was probably giving you a compliment because he wanted to give you a compliment. Oh, I think initially with this interaction, I was thinking, you know, a part of me was thinking, okay, was I just uh, complimented as a gay man on my own walking down Church Street? Like, if I was the right target audience, it would be me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> middle-income white single from what you can see. And a part of me is like, oh, is this, was this part of it? Um, or was it just a an authentic, genuine interaction? I'm leaning towards the authenticity of it. But for yeah. our for our listeners out there who may be not familiar, do you mind taking a minute to just uh to share with us what is a go-go dancer and and uh you know what kind of role they play uh in, in the entertainment world? So go-go dancers are dancers male or female that uh usually we are scantily clad sometimes wearing a costume style look but still very scantily clad uh and we dance at bars and event spaces to heighten and lift the mood of the space so if if it's a if it i've i've done go-go shows where people are sitting eating dinner and I'm just dancing. Um, and so those are very different from the usual go-go dance moments where I'm on a box, a foot high, in a dark bar. Basically what being a go-go dancer is, is you're like the hype man or woman of the party or of the event. It really does go back to the 60s then, doesn't it? Because I, I, I'm pretty sure that's where the term comes from. I'm like in, sure. in, in the like, if you watch Austin Powers and they have the little interstitials where they have like, and everyone's in a bar and they're all dancing and stuff, and you have all the go-go dancers and all the boxes. And that would have been a '60s style go-go dancers. So they would have been probably more dressed, uh, and they would have been dancing to like psychedelic rock. But still, I mean, that's I, I think I think people know what a go-go dancer at least used to look like, just because it's used as a joke sometimes in movies and shows. Yes. Uh, it it has evolved over the years. It also it depends Surely, on the yeah. vibe of the party. Like mm-hmm. if if I was to be on a regular Saturday night, mm-hmm. I decide what I wear. Mm-hmm. Um, but occasionally I'll I'll do an event and they're like, "Here's a costume. This is what you're wearing," and it's like a full tuxedo, mm-hmm. or I'm an actual character that I'm playing, and I yeah. So it varies based party to party, but. I think I get the sense that the role that you play is uh, is entertainment. It's yeah. uh, the mood of the space that you're in. It's about 
you know, engaging people who are there, who, you know, folks who may be a little self-conscious, a little shy, a little timid. I personally can't even begin to imagine dancing when everyone else is sitting down having dinner. Like, I mean, but I I dance like stereotypical representations of white men dancing. I've got the shuffle down. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a good one for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, the grocery cart and lawnmower. I think that's my repertoire. Um, but, you know, yeah, I think yeah. this... I assume you didn't start going from zero to everyone sitting down and you're dancing. I imagine there was a a, a buildup in your career, let's say, where you ended up uh, doing those kinds of gigs. Definitely. I yeah, I've I've been I mean, I've been a mover since I was a fetus. So, uh it was sort of my career path was into performing and from that I would just book side gigs as a go-go dancer um because let's say a drag queen was like hey i'm doing this event and i know that you can dance would you be interested so i would do a dance usually with the drag queen and then i would also go-go dance and that's how i originally got started the very beginning stages of my go-go career were me just wanting like being a performer being a dancer and wanting to have a stage at the bar um so i would jump up on a box and i would dance and then people would notice me and they'd be like he can dance we should hire him and we should um, he's already hyping our party so we should we should give him something for it i love it it, it, it feels it feels right the job feels right I know that, uh, you know, we've all been to to clubs and bars and things and you get there and it is uh, crickets or, you know, in weddings and so on. I'm sure you can speak to that, uh, Sebastian. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But I, I don't know. It's either you make it fun or you go home. That's that's my general my general attitude. I do know that there there are a lot of uh, bands that have used go-go dancers. So there was um, there's a Toronto-based band called the Hidden Cameras, who for years had go-go dancers because somewhere along the way, people associated folk rock with sitting and listening, whereas uh, like piano rock, the, the original rockers like Little Richard and stuff, it, it was a wild party, and they were like, "No, we're gonna keep it a wild party." And they got they got their go-go dancers on the stage. And they wore like Rocky Horror style little gold lame. Um, and it, it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I do understand that that general idea of getting the party started. Um, and I would imagine that's the difference between the, the bikini go-go costumes and the, you know, show up in jeans and a t-shirt go-go ones where they spread you out in the audience to try to get the party started. Um, it's kind of interesting. It is... Do you, do you view it as sort of a financial incentive in a way of like, you know, when you lace the audience with go-go dancers, people remember it as being more of a fun party. Maybe they spend more, maybe they come back, maybe they get more people to come again. Is it sort of like a, a, a covert advertising strategy of the sort? Uh, I definitely, I, I do feel that the parties that bring in a go-go dancer, it it's like you'll have your your base party at a bar and mm-hmm. DJ or a band. And once they start to become a regular thing, then they're like, okay, now we need to elevate it. So then the mm-hmm. next step would be let's hire a dancer or let's hire a drag queen. Mm-hmm. Those would be like the, or performance of some kind. 
Yep, yep, yep. Um, now, if it's if it's a, a dance style event, usually you would want a go-go dancer because that inspires people to want to dance. They're looking at someone else that's moving. They can copy the movement that the go-go dancer is doing so that way they don't feel as insecure. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite things to do as a go-go dancer is like I'll see someone that's like sort of two-stepping on the floor, but I'll mm-hmm. see them like doing a shoulder movement. And so I will also do that shoulder movement and I'll like make eye contact with the person so that way they see that I'm doing the same thing as them mm-hmm. and then it usually makes them smile gives them a boost of confidence and then they're like they're like ah oh, the dancer's doing what I'm doing this is so cool and then they go off and they have a great night um do I think of it as like a marketing thing um in a sense yeah because go-go dancers usually are people that are big on social media. They have a following. So when you hire a go-go dancer for your party, the go-go dancer will promo that party. And so it does have like a layer of, of marketing in there. Um, Hiring a dancer is an investment. Yeah. 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 Yes. Very much so. Very much. So. I what I really uh, uh, earlier on when you were saying the way that you dance depends on the the vibe of the party. All I could imagine was uh, careless whispers coming on, and then the go go dancers slow dancing with each other. Oh um, yes, <laughs> has that actually happened? Um, I've had events where like a uh, a random song will come on. So I okay, I I dance uh, at a bar called the Well here in Toronto. Uh, and it's a shower bar. So there's a stage and then there's a shower. Okay. Uh, these are really big in Paris. Um, and they, it's, it sort of has a burlesque element to it where we start on the stage, we do a burlesque reveal down to underwear, and then we get in the shower and then we continue dancing while being drenched with water. Um, Long story short, the DJ that is at the well is never usually the same DJ. Mm-hmm. So I show up with a look or three looks because we do three performances throughout the night. But the DJ doesn't tell me what music they're playing, doesn't okay. tell me <laughs> what the vibe of the night's going to be. So like I, I went up and like, there was Latin music playing when I first got on the stage. And I was all like, oh, I'm, I'm like loving this, like giving hips and like body rolls. And I was just in the full Latin flavor. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it like switched to this like slow, soulful R&B thing. And I was like, okay, different vibe. Like we <laughs> like from this to this really quickly. But because I'm a professional dancer and because I have all of the experience that I do, I, part of me loves when that happens. Part of me loves when a DJ will like throw me in a different direction because it's fun and it changes it up. And it then is my job as the go-go dancer to make it so that the people at the party aren't like, whoa, that was such a drastic switch in music. They're like, whoa, that was so cool. Oh my God, look at what the dancer just did like it's it all it all plays and and meshes together um a slow song playing at a bar i haven't had that happen i've had 
I danced at an event. Um, this would have been one of the ones where like we were dressed up as characters. People were sitting having drinks and it wasn't dance music. It was like ambiance music. And we were just supposed to be like writhing. theatrical mover. That like, yeah, oh. it was sort of like instead of having statues, you had people in interesting costumes moving around and like it was very but they was like slow classical-ish music it's it's giving me interpretive dance meets the elevator like yes exactly that okay exactly i wanted to uh i wanted to pick up on something you said earlier about you know when somebody in the audience you know moves their shoulders and you 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 copy it to kind of uh uh, you know build that confidence and I, i think what I circle back to and sort of what inspired me kind of reaching out to you is me and Sebastian have talked a lot in this show over the years about the loneliness crisis in the gay community, uh, disproportionate rates of anorexia, bulimia, bigorexia, essentially uh, the things related to body confidence. Um, Like our community, the gay community is particularly ill-equipped to handle being alone and and uh, you know confident in itself or in in ourselves, and I think that you know that's that's not an easy challenge to come across. So I'm curious, you know, you're very much on the front line of where the the shy, timid folks meet the not shy go-go dancers, and how do you how do you bridge that gap? How do you inspire folks who? are maybe there for the first time to feel sexy in that moment, to feel like they want to dance to that R&B song and, and, and join in and have the confidence to join in. How do you do that work? I, as a go-go dancer, come off as an extroverted, very confident person. But Matthew is very shy. I have social anxiety. I, If you were to throw me into a crowd and I wasn't go-go dancing, I would be that guy that's like, oh, fly on a wall. Like, where are my friends? Where are my people? Um, so that helps me when I'm a go-go dancer trying to inspire, trying to make sure that everyone in the bar is having a good time. Um, it it allows me to be like, okay, well, I know what I would want and what I would need to help me feel comfortable and give me confidence boost and allow me to actually fully enjoy of, of, of everything that's involved in go-go dancing. The number one thing that I love doing is making someone go from like having a subpar evening to that felt great that I'm, I'm going to come back to this party this was an amazing experience. I'm, I'm so elated. Um, now how do I do that? Uh, definitely it's connecting with it's eye contact, it's body language, it's being friendly, but knowing your boundaries, um, and having fun. Like if you're having fun, the bar is going to have fun. It doesn't matter if you're a professional dancer like me or if you're a go-go dancer that can like wiggle your booty. Like it 
it doesn't matter who you are or what walk of life you come from. Being a go-go dancer is all about the connection with people and the good go-go dancers are the ones that, that tug at the heartstrings, even though they are dancing in a jockstrap on a two foot box. I actually, yeah, no, I, I, back when I, I used to work as a bartender in a, a small, a very small gay bar in Hamilton. And it was the kind of bar that was mostly regulars, people dropping in all the time. And I remember the first time I was there. You used to go go dance on a on a two foot box as well, didn't you, Sebastian? It was uh... not at that bar, no. Um, but uh, no, I, I was I was the bartender. It's my job to keep people entertained. It was it was that kind of bar. It was kind of like a gay cheers, as as people called it. Wow. And uh, the first time I was on shift. Uh, my boss afterwards came up to me and was like, what the hell was that? And I said, what? And he said, you talked about septic systems for an hour and a half. And I said, there were four people sitting at the bar. They all lived in the countryside. One of them was complaining about his septic system. I kept the conversation rolling. Everybody stayed for at least a second or third drink. I was like, that's my job. My job is to connect with them. I don't have to be there talking about sex all the time. Like it's just drawing them in, keeping them there building community, trying to identify with them. They want to talk about septic systems. We'll talk about septic systems. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I don't know if uh, if our listeners go out to uh, some of the clubs like The Well um, and strike <laughs> up a conversation about septic systems, if that's necessarily going to work. But what I would encourage <laughs> folks to do is... You know, if you are going out on an event and uh, shy or timid, mm-hmm. connect with the go-go dancers. You know, go and dance with with these folks because you're right. There's definitely an element of marketing and making the party a party more animated, more sexy, mm-hmm. more alive. But I think there's definitely a piece about having someone there who's uh, like a party cheerleader. That's mm-hmm. the vibe I get. Like you're the That's cheerleader. Good, yeah. For the yeah. party, and uh, I love that. I think that's such a cute, uh, cute way of thinking about it. So I want to thank you, Matt, so much for joining us and, and sharing a little bit about what it is to to go go dance in in Toronto and connect with people and, and sharing some of your experience. It's been uh, incredibly invaluable. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming. To the we'll be back <laughs> just after this. Yeah.
lonely and bright You blew them all to pieces Cause you're a dynamite You don't need to be sorry It's gonna be just fine Cause it's a long way down tonight Mother, mother, mercy Let your hands lead me I can be your Welcome back to Cancre, your home of Canada's queer medium. My name is Stilluk Smith. I am Sebastian. And uh, if you uh, enjoyed our conversation with uh, Matt, a.k.a. Tucker, you can find him on Instagram, which is Matt, M-A-T-T, uh, Eldrica. So, sorry, M-A-T-T-E-L-D-R-A-C-H-E-R, Matt Eldrica, uh, mm-hmm. on, on Instagram. We've known him for years. Um, mm-hmm. we, we met, uh, uh, in, in Ottawa many, many years ago. Um, uh, it was interesting because just at the end of the interview, he was talking about, uh, I mentioned about how some folks may feel intimidated. And he said that he's been told people find him intimidating. Mm-hmm. And he is like the sweetest guy. <laughs> it just... People have said that I've intimidated them, so I, I don't mean, know. You, I mean, you are pretty intimidating. So and it, mean, it's not just because yeah. I'm 6'2". Mm-hmm. It's, it's because uh, you keep pushing people out of the way. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. But no, um, got those yeah, elbows out. You are all about the elbows. Anyway, <laughs> go check him out, Matt Eldrica, on Instagram. Um, just uh, see what he's up to and when he's performing. Now, as we wrap up the show, I did want to mention some of our uh, other the world news, just to kind of round out our our topics today. The World Health Organization, looking at recent trends. Mm-hmm. believes that they could potentially end the spread of the epidemic in Europe. The um, epidemic, uh, which epidemic? Sorry, the monkeypox okay. uh, outbreak. <laughs> the monkeypox outbreak in Europe, not uh, not the COVID-19 epidemic, but rather the monkeypox uh, outbreak. Um, essentially, its spread is significantly slowing. And uh, if uh, folks continue with this targeted approach, uh, there is a good chance that maybe we can we can end the outbreak there. There was an interesting story we'd mentioned before about how the London, UK Metropolitan Police uh, had been found to have failed in their investigation of the serial killer Stephen Port. And we drew mm-hmm. comparisons to how the Toronto Metropolitan, the Toronto Police Service had uh, in other ways failed in their investigations um, into a man whose name I will not say on air. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a legal battle between the families of uh, some of the victims of Stephen Port and uh, the Metropolitan Police. Uh, that uh, battle for some of the families has now been settled. 
the Metropolitan Police uh, have announced that they uh, that they have settled these uh, claims with uh, the family. I think it was of Jack Taylor and uh, at least one other. Um, much to the, the surprise of the family. Uh, so at no point were they informed that the Metropolitan Police were going to make an announcement that they had settled lawsuits about how badly they had managed the investigation into the serial killer targeting gay men in London, UK. Was the announcement um, so, in their favor? Well, it, it, I mean, it was, I mean, it doesn't really matter. If you look at it, this is a family who has suffered the horrific murder of their child. And now the police force, who is accused of ineptitude, uh, who is now settling a lawsuit, announces publicly causing a media frenzy. Uh-huh. You know, there's just no rest for, for this poor family. You know, uh-huh. they, they didn't ask for the announcement. There was no indication it would be made public. Um, and now their grief is back on uh, on public display uh-huh. at the sole, you know, at the sole decision of the Trump, uh, the London Metropolitan Police. Uh-huh. So it really is an example of what not to do um, in terms of uh, of handling. Um, in Serbia, we had mentioned that the Serbian president had indicated that he would cancel Euro Pride. Okay, uh, thousands of people this past weekend protested in. Uh, the uh, Serbian capital, Belgrade, uh, against this decision by the president. So just a quick follow-up there. And in St. Kitts and Nevis, we don't often talk about St. Kitts and Nevis, mm-hmm. uh, the top court for the uh, Caribbean nations there have struck down a colonial era rule, essentially outlawing, outlawing homosexuality in St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, saying that uh, orientation is covered by the right to privacy, and the uh, the anti-gay sex rule was against the constitution of St. Kitsunavis. So huge news for the island. Um, the other big story happening in the world was the Indian Supreme Court said that LGBTQ plus families are entitled to social benefits Ooh. in a pretty big sweeping decision. And of course, as we mentioned during the break, there's like a billions of people in India. So uh-huh. this will impact a very large number of people uh, in the UK. Yeah, I mean, lots of amazing... In the UK or in India? Sorry, in, sorry, in India. Okay. <laughs> you know, it impacts billions of people in uh, in India. Okay. So like we said, you know, this is huge stories happening, uh, you know, impacting people. And we try and bring a little bit of, uh, a little bit of good news uh, when we can find it. Mm-hmm. So I think that is all we have time for this week. We will be playing out by a new track uh, I believe, sorry, not uh, not this one, but yeah, we'll be playing out with. We're playing out with Someday by Kristen Martel. I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired. Tired of trying to explain myself. See our mind is twisting and turning and covering the past. You're not ready to see. Oh, oh. Now you sharpen your arrows and steady the knife and jagging all your edges when you're ready to fight. It would take an eclipse to overshadow.
so far. 